Welcome to the Classroom Brew Podcast. The only podcast that combines teachers having an honest conversation over a couple of beers. So hey, grab a beer, take your seats, and listen in. It's the global podcast of real teachers telling real stories about what's actually going on. If you'd like to contact us, we are at Classroom Brew on social media or classroombrew at gmail.com. But for now, let's start the show. I'm really happy that testing is over, yeah. <laughs> especially for all the, the crap that our kids had to go through. It's horrible. It has taken so much of my class time that I can't spend teaching literature or teaching how to write something properly mm-hmm. because I don't, I have to teach English even though I do not have a sp- like a specific part of my license that says that I can teach English. Mm-hmm. So I just ignore the r- mandated reading book because it's garbage. <laughs> most most of those are. And we just read books. Like the whole year we've been doing nothing but reading books. And the kids are really into the book that we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And I have had to stop doing it for a month because I've been having to prep for standardized testing. And it frustrates me because standardized testing does not show how smart a student is or their future abilities to work in um, a job or how successful they will be in college. You know, I was terrible at standardized tests when I was in high school. I was a valedictorian, but I could not test well in high school. I was just, I didn't have enough money to get a tutor who could explain to me how to take a test. And I just didn't do well. And I think that a lot of kids get cut out of going to college or feel like they can't go to college because these tests show that they're stupid. And I just sat down with my kids who are 11, 12 years old, And I just explained to them that these tests are racist kids. These tests are classist kids. It's true, though. I mean, like a kid that's ESL, there's no accommodation for them because it's technically not a legal mandate. We were kind of talking about that before we were recording. Only an IEP will actually get accommodations like extended time or a reader or like an audio book of it or whatever. But if you're ESL, if you can't understand what the proctor is saying about the directions or the directions in front of you, they don't do anything for you, which is terrible. Well, even with the IEPs, I have several kids that see a resource teacher several times a week, and their parents are not involved. They are poverty-stricken students who don't have a lot of parental support at home, and these parents cannot be bothered to take their kids to you know get the proper paperwork done that shows that they deserve an IEP. I have one kid whose mom can't even bother to um, refill his prescription so he can you know stay awake towards the end of the day. At the beginning of the day, he's all hyper and crazy, but by one thirty in the afternoon, he's like a wind-up doll that's just falling apart, and it's because he has severe ADHD. Yeah, he's exhausting himself, literally. He's exhausting himself, and he's a smart kid, and I can't medicate him. I can't get him a prescription. I can't take him to see a specialist. I know mm-hmm. that you don't get IEPs for ADHD, but he could get, what is it, a 504 plan? Correct. Something like that. And he could have accommodations for the standardized testing we're going to do next week. Since this kid has no paperwork, mm-hmm. they're not going to do anything for him. He's just going to have to take the test with everybody else. His scores are going to be crap. 
they're going to reflect poorly upon me because they're going to beat me over the head saying, why didn't you prepare this kid for a test? And it's like, right. well, uh, well... They always look to us. It's always our fault, right? It's always our fault. We're teachers. <laughs> We're used to getting flogged. <laughs> and the truth is, is that he's been doing pretty good in my class grade-wise because I make accommodations for him. Almost all of my kids in my class are underprivileged kids. Almost all of my kids do not speak English at home. They don't have a lot of parental support to get their homework done. So I just stopped giving homework. I said, to hell with this. I'm not really evaluating whether you're learning the material if I'm, you know, evaluating on you on homework that you can't do because you live in a house with 10 people and you can't get a find a quiet space to do your homework and no one's going to help you anyway. So I just do everything in class now. I don't give homework. And ever since... Then I've seen the kids who struggle with English are doing better. The kids that are despondent or the kids that have just kind of mentally checked out of school are doing better, you know, and I'm doing these steps as a teacher towards the right direction. And then these standardized tests are going to come in and they're going to show these poor scores and they're going to go, oh, you're a bad teacher. You're not doing everything right. Or this kid's dumb. Why aren't you doing more to make him smart? And it's like, assholes, I am. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's always what's going to be. There's there's never going to be anyone that's in the profession that like makes a decision about who is a good teacher, who's a bad teacher, is it successful, is it unsuccessful? It's always going to be some person in Washington or whatever. Who's never worked with kids. I mean, look at our Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. I mean, she's never set foot in the classroom as a teacher, yet she's the Secretary of Education. And she, what was it, when she was being grilled at the um, Senate hearings? that Mm -hmm. Confirmation hearings. Yeah, the confirmation hearings that she didn't know the difference between she was talking with former Senator Al Franken. I can't remember. Yeah, that one hurt. It's like accountability <laughs> versus growth, or uh, it, it was it growth was, versus um, um standards or achievement or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And she didn't understand the difference, and it's like, uh, mm-hmm. oh, it was a like great because the uh, called Al proficiency or growth. For some reason, we could not think of the words at the time. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. That was hard to watch. And then, of course, the, we won't go into it, but the whole gun thing when she was talking about grizzly, grizzly bears. bears. It was painful. <laughs> it's painful to watch. Um, but anyway, what do you think? You want to get started? Yeah, let's All do right. it. So welcome back to Classroom Brew. This is episode maybe 33 or 34. I have no idea at this point. This week, I'm actually joined by my friend Diana, who's actually teaching in what grade level? I teach uh, 6th through 8th, so I mostly teach 6th grade. Okay. So that'll be good because we've got high school and then we've got some middle school and different subject areas. Uh, If you haven't already, make sure you rate and review in whatever app you're listening on. Make sure you spread the word as well. Anytime that this podcast grows, it's going to be good for me. Make sure you check out hashtag two pods a day where you can listen to other great indie podcasts around the world. I kind of want to go back to this IEP thing, though, where okay. um, I don't know how many IEP meetings you've sat in on, which is individual education plan for those of you that aren't teachers that are listening. But I feel like a lot of times you talked about parents that they don't have the time or the resources or maybe they're not invested enough. There's whatever reason. But there's a lot of them that when we talk about giving them an IEP so that they can get those academic accommodations they're worried about the label, which is, mm-hmm. I feel like we've heard about that so much that when a parent says it, I almost caught myself in my head thinking, wow, that's so cliche that they're worried about the label. But then right. again, we also come from academia where we're used to talking about this, enlightened about it. People that have, haven't gone to the, that advanced level of schooling aren't necessarily aware. But I'm not sure if you've encountered that at the middle school level where things are a little bit more fluid for kids. Well, since I work at a private school, I've never sat in on an IEP meeting. We do okay. have a resource teacher. I don't know what 
she does in terms of IEPs, but I do have students that go and see her, but only one of them, as far as I know, has an IEP that has been taken care of because her parents are very involved. But the other kids, I think that their problem isn't necessarily that they need an IEP. It's that they're ESL kids. Right. They just don't speak English as their primary language at home. And if that's not being reinforced by your parents and by the people you spend, you know, your time with outside of school, that's going to be really, it's going to be a clash of cultures right. when you go to school. And that's really uncomfortable. It's almost like the, the modern version of, do you remember like the Native American boarding schools back in the day yeah. where they became a marginalized person? Like white society was like, oh, they're just trying to act white. And then when they would go home to the reservations, it was like, oh, well, you're you're trying to act white. You're no longer part of our family. And so they're literally stuck in the middle. Right. I feel like our kids kind of get that. Well, exactly, because I'm not, I don't speak Spanish. I don't, I'm just a little white lady. I don't, <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I'm, so just, sad. I'm just a little white lady. And, um, you know, I just try to be the best teacher I can for everybody and to be accommodating and helpful. Um but at the same time, I feel like a lot of the kids I work with are work are going in an uphill battle mm-hmm. to do well in school um, because a lot of the kids, they have this conflict of they need to do things for the family. They need to do everything for their family. And so there's no time for like studying or schoolwork or all this right. other stuff. But that's also why I've made it so that I don't give homework anymore. Mm-hmm. I've just stopped doing it because I have kids that live with 10 people in a house and sometimes there's little to no adult supervision. Um, I have kids that I'm definitely sure don't have a secure source of food at mm-hmm. home. Very common. And this kid, cause I, I have my kids write me letters. It's just as a writing exercise. And uh, this one kid wrote about how his mom almost ran him over when he was drunk, when Ooh. she was drunk. And I was like, Oh my God. And yeah, so I, talk to him about it and he said oh it was just a joke it's not true and so it's like Hmm. well if he says it's not true what do i do now i mean should i assume that he's lying to cover for his mom or should i report him i don't know yeah and you probably don't in a private school there probably isn't as much support as you'd like from a counselor to be like oh there's not a counselor at all oh god i'm all on my my school i love it the problem is i don't think i get a lot of support and I'm just sort of left on my own to figure things out. And that's really rough um, as a new teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Do you have any support at your school? Yeah, it's kind of, we, I mean, we only have a staff of like 20, 30 adults because um, it's such a small school. Uh, but there, there is like one counselor and there is a social worker and some interns. So uh, it sounds like more than what you have. The problem is we have a lot of disorganization, as I've talked about on here before. But yeah, yeah it's a it's a nightmare. Does that mean you find yourself dealing with like a lot of like I know from the get go, like when we did student teaching or like within our first month, we were always expected like your job is more than your job description. And like we were prepared for that. But do you find yourself dealing with like even on like an hour to hour basis, like you barely get to focus on the content. You're more so working on life skills with kids or dealing with petty nonsense that they have going on. Which for them, it's serious, like not to like, you know, discredit what they're going through. But I feel like I spend most of my time, uh, you kind of said it earlier, being like a social worker. Absolutely. I, okay, I'll give you an example of what happened to me today. Okay. <laughs> so, 
(laughs) Happy Friday. Happy Friday. So my seventh graders were taking a test. And at the very end, um, one of the girls came up to me and she asked if she could go to the school secretary to get a band-aid. I'm like, oh, I got one. Here you go. And then she sat back down in her seat. And then like the test was over. Everybody left except this girl and her girlfriend. And she came up to me and she said, um... I've bled through and it's on the seat. And I said, mm. oh, okay. And so <laughs> How do I, deal I with this one? immediately closed my classroom door and I told her friend, can you go to the teacher next door and get a pad? And she said, sure. And so I'm there barricading out my next group of kids from coming in because they don't need oh, to see it's that. Oh, passing period. Yeah, yeah. And I had her, um, there was like a, uh, I have a bunch of like um, Clorox wipes and stuff. So she just cleaned it up. But she was all worried that people would know or something. I'm like, don't worry about it. If somebody bothers you about it, I will club them personally (laughs) for you. Um, Because that's what you're dealing with in middle school. It's like girls are just starting to get their periods. Boys' Mm -hmm. voices are starting to change. Like seriously, my sixth grade boys, their voices were like little flutes at the beginning (laughs) of the year. Now they're men. Now they're completely different (laughs) humans. Yeah. And... I mean, that I just dealt with that crisis. I had to talk this girl down because she was almost hysterical about this. I'm like, look, it is no big deal. You oh, is, go- this, is this the first experience that she had? Or she was just like traumatized think, that it happened in school? I think she was just traumatized that she bled through okay. onto a seat, which oh. is pretty dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I told her, well, why don't you take off your hoodie for now and like cover your pants? I, did, I said, turn around. And I looked and like there wasn't anything on her pants. Okay. So I don't know how she bled through. But she did. And um, she was like, oh, but the teacher next door is going to give me a hard time if, you know, I have this hoodie around me. And I just flat out said to her, like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll explain to the teacher what's going on. Just yeah, wrap right, it they'll, around they'll you. Right? Yeah. I'll just say, look, she bled through. Calm down. <laughs> sure enough, that was fine. That's And that's one thing that I've dealt with. Um, mm-hmm. And it's there's so many other occasions like that where you're just dealing with life stuff and you're just trying to manage kids who are growing up and a lot of their parents, I don't think, have a lot of time for them. And so they need that sort of like pep talk. And I feel like I do a lot of pep talks with my kids. Oh, yeah. One-to-one moments in between classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's honestly where you start to develop those relationships more because you actually have a moment where it's not, you know, 29, 30 other kids in the room. You can actually have face-to-face time where they feel that kind of bond developing mm-hmm, absolutely before we go any further with episode 33 we got a quick promo hey guys it's brian from the lazy teacher podcast right now you're listening to a killer teacher pod if you're digging what you're hearing now you might also like the lazy teacher podcast we got tons of guests that come in we're hitting topics of education teaching ranting positive life choices you're gonna get a whole lot when you're checking in with the lazy teacher podcast check out the show we're on all the podcatchers itunes stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, google music hit that search bar up with the lazy teacher podcast you're not gonna regret it it's always awesome to hear your feedback shoot me an email brian b-r-i-a-n at the lazy teacher if you haven't called the voicemail line, now is a great time to do that. It's 619-TEACH-51. 619-TEACH-51. And don't forget to support all the teacher pods that are out there. Next time you're on your social media, check out hashtag teacher pods. You're going to love all the podcasts that we've grouped together. See ya! I can 100% cut this if you don't want to, but uh, do you remember that experience when you like told kids not to enter the room? Was- oh yeah, I was... <laughs> <laughs> This was an awesome, awesome story that just really makes me laugh now. (laughs) Now, at the time, you were probably about to laugh. Oh, it's very traumatized at the time. (laughs) 
Oh boy. So I was pumping milk and I had my there because the doors on our classroom, they have like a little window and I covered up the window mm-hmm. and I thought I had locked the door. And anyway, I have this podium that I kind of also put in between me where I was sitting at my desk and the door just in case all of my <laughs> systems failed. And I also put a note on the door. Do not come in. Oh, God. And not one, but two different eighth grade boys oh, came geez. right on in. Oh, and of course they were guys. Oh, jeez. How do you even react? Like, what the fuck out? Like, how do you... I was like, get out! And then they came back and I just berated them. Oh, oh I mean, like, I have... These boys who should give a lot of problems for their other teachers, they have been choir boys for me <laughs> the Ever rest since. of the year. <laughs> oh, God, that's awful. I don't even, that sounds like my worst nightmare, like. I stopped breastfeeding shortly after that. I was like, I'm done. (laughs) Direct causation right there. (laughs) Not worth it. Not worth it. Not worth it at all. And there was like no time for me to do it in the day anyway. And I was just like, nah, enough is enough. (laughs) (laughs) So have you started to, so like Jack was on not too long ago and he's actually in a Catholic school. So kind of similar. You're in private school. He's in a Catholic school. And, uh. He was thinking like, you know what, this isn't going to be enough for me right now. Like he, he likes what he does. He's a little overworked with like having like four or five preps, but he's concerned about like the wage. Like he's sick of just trying to break even. And that's one of his reasons for wanting to move. The wage is pretty bad. Do you find yourself like, do you think that you're going to like start looking in the next year or two or like what's kind of going on with the development of where you are in your school. I mean, I don't want to leave after this year, obviously, because I mean, that'll make me look like a fly-by-night character. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, in some cases, in some cases. In some cases, you got to get out, like poor Barb. Yeah, Uh, yeah. She went through a a lot of shit. um, That's episode 20, if you guys want to listen to that. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. And, um, but I want to stick it out for a few years just to get some more experience. Mm-hmm. I really want to get an ESL certification added to my license. And then I would like to go on to CPS, I think, okay. um, because the wage is just crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at these pay stubs of teachers in Arizona and I was like, man, I wish I made that. <laughs> Because I well, because there's no union in a private school at all. Nope, and you only have year-to-year contracts. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you've worked there one year or twenty-five. Your employment is based upon whether or not the principal want you to continue on at your school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I was kind of thinking about it too in terms of so, like, even with like evaluations and stuff, I'm relatively happy with where I want to be. But part of me was thinking, is this really my long-term position? But I, I actually. I think my principal kind of can read my mind because she offered me like an active classroom with like those node desks that move around and they repainted my room for me. Now she's giving me a Chromebook cart. And oh, she likes you. She must, which is <clears throat> good. That's always good to have the principal on your side, but, oh, yeah. um, which I, I really like her as my principal too. That's one of the things too. Uh, but she also just approved me for doing an AP psych class, which has never been offered before, which means I got like some summer employment, like down pat, you know, perpetual. Prepping, prepping the students. Prepping is the new word. <laughs> Preparing all those students for like doing the AP test and getting ready for that class because you have to do a lot of buildup if you want your scores to be good because that that reflects on you as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a school quality report, something or other. It's called the Squirp. And so offering the Squirp isn't that the worst? <laughs> the worst acronym. It's the Squirp report. But uh, it if you have like 
uh, teachers that are trained in trauma. And if you have like good grades and good attendance and you offer AP classes and you have good enrollment, those are all things that help your school quality report. And offering AP is one thing, but let's say I get a bunch of kids that get ones and twos on the AP. Yikes. Reflects poorly on me and the entire school. So no I think, pressure. Yeah, right? Well, I actually, I kind of sought it out because they were like, do you want to do A-Push? And I was like, no, because I don't, I don't really like the A-Push curriculum. And I was like, what about AP Psych? And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. But I got to, so like, we've only got one or two months left. I got a lot of work to do to just get ready for, for that last semester. But I feel like they're doing things to kind of keep me around just in case I was on the fence. Looking elsewhere. Yeah. Which I was thinking two or three years minimum just to develop something at a school, but... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's your first school. You don't want to leave after the first year unless you have to parachute out of there. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I'm feeling. Because as your former guest, Jack, was talking about, I mean, wages are much smaller in private schools because we don't have unions. We Mm -hmm. are not represented. We're basically disposable. Right. I mean, the only thing that will keep you at a private school is that um, you have semi-obedient students in small class sizes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I still have the same problems I dealt with, honestly, in CPS. The only difference is that I have small class sizes, which is nice. It allows me to focus more on students because when you have a classroom full of like 30 kids, good luck. (laughs) The harsh reality is that if you're in an urban school with low funding or like low resources like mine, if it's like, I hate to say it, but if it's a school with a lot of funding, a lot of money, a class of 30 is a much different environment than a class of 20. It's just you don't get the same motivation. You don't get the same compliance just because of where you are and because students can see, you know, the state of one school versus another. Like they know like, oh, the district doesn't care about this school. And it's a bad look, which I guess that's good because my principal is going to like have things repainted and refurbished and stuff. But anytime you're dealing with class sizes, like it's a disaster when I get to my seventh period because there's 32 kids in there. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. And at seventh period, they're already emotionally checked out anyway. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but the, the energy is somehow super high, but their motivation is super low. And I was hoping it would be the other way around where they're just too too tired because they're in like a food coma. But mm-mm. Nope. It's like I had that same scenario in student teaching. I had the last period of the day. I had a bunch of kids in there. And it was even an honors class. Mm-hmm. But it's just they were just like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> that last class of the day is always the worst. For me, my honors class is the second to last one, but it's it's the worst one for me. It uh, it's, it's my first like three or four classes of the day. Not too bad, but those last two. Oh, God. I think it's ridiculous how they make school start so early. Can we please talk about that? <laughs> what time does your school start in the morning? It starts at 8.10. Okay. But... Adolescents are not ready to start their day at 8.10. I get the best results from my classes that are from about 9.45 until lunch. Mm-hmm. Those are the best classes. Do you get kids on time with that 8.10? Like, they're, Absolutely of course, not, not in the right... Okay. I have the same habitual tardy kids <laughs> every day. And it's not their fault, and yet I'm forced to count them as tardy. I also think the tardy system, I understand why you need it. But it penalizes kids who's, mm. who don't have dependable parents to bring them to school every day because sure. there are no school buses to my school. Yeah. with the So, like, I don't teach a first period, which is amazing. I oh, that must be period. wonderful. But most kids, it, we're talking, like, 10% attendance the first period. Like, it's almost like if they show up with five minutes left, it's like, great, let me mark you tardy instead of absent for this class period because it's that bad. But, like, when I was in middle school, we didn't start till nine. And then when I was in high school, we started at 7 or 7.30 Jeez. or something like that, which is really harsh. But I, I feel like no matter what, 
for whatever reason, because the culture is still kind of recovering at our school, you could make the start time 11 a.m. And our kids are still going to come late for the first <laughs> class that they have in the day. But I don't know if that's, you know, what you think it would happen because you have a private school that's a, a pay to play type of a district. So maybe you get a little bit different punctuality from your kids. Maybe. I mean, if their parents are paying for them to be there, it does make a difference. Mm -hmm. But I see what you mean by when resources are, um, you know, given to certain schools over others. Like we have a mutual friend, I won't repeat her name, who works in a more well-funded school on the north side of the city. And she loves to post different pictures, you know, that her class is doing this or that. And I look at that. I'm like, oh, that must be nice. (laughs) Like, oh, your kids are sitting. <laughs> that's yeah, fun. Yeah. And they've got, oh, look at all this nice equipment. I Yeah, that must be nice. That's true. That is true. Like any any school that has one-to-one technology, by the way, I had that when I student taught and I kind of miss it, but it would just be nice to have things that worked even if it's not one-to-one. Like a printer that works would be great. <laughs> yeah. We've had a printer that's been out for weeks. Mm-hmm. No new toner replacement. Well, in private school, they probably won't do it for a year, something like that. Probably not. Is there IT support at all? There's a lady. She comes in every so often. There's a, anytime you start with, the, yeah, there's a lady somewhere. That she, <laughs> the rest of the sentence, like you already know where it's going. But. I feel like I'm always in a canoe that has a hole in it, and I'm just trying. <laughs> I'm all yeah. by myself. But there's all these other people that I have to carry in the canoe with me, but I'm the only <laughs> one dumping water out of it. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Especially as the first person, you know, like last uh, last one in, first one out type of thing. Like you're the one that's still got the motivation. We're not too cynical yet. I might be a little bit. But other teachers, 100% on the sidelines because they're like, yep, this is the way things always are. I mean, after a while, you kind of understand. You You can only care so much. Do you remember we took a class together? And there was a girl that was from an an affluent northern suburb, and she wanted to work on the south side in a, you know, destitute public school. Is this two cents? She always had to give her two cents? Yes, it is two cents. (laughs) Um, I don't even remember her real name, so I can't even say it if I wanted to. But she was convinced that if you did not make sure that every single kid in your class that you've ever had was a success, not only when you had them, but in every subsequent grade after it, that you were a failure as a teacher. So I was like, hold on. Uh, (laughs) She's got the time for that longitudinal study, which, by the way, fun update about her that I learned from Barb, but go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was done. I want to hear about the fun update. Apparently, when Barb resigned and the... In an alternative school, that's really tough. It was not an easy decision for Barb to make, but it was the best decision for her to leave. Guess who replaced her and took that job? Oh, I want to know what happened (laughs) to Tucson. I'm actually, I'd be really, like, I wish her success as a bit, uh, like, the personification of gentrification. That's what I kind of got from her. A white savior complex mm -hmm. of the wazoo. But with like more condescension than you could ever imagine. But but I, I do hope she gets like a wake up call from it and does well. But at the same time, it's like I, I really hope she got that hard dose so that she could stop. Like, I don't want to be like too harsh. No, be harsh. What's like a nice way to say like she had her head up her ass? <laughs> because that's what I believe. Just like an idealism. Her head was in the clouds, Ryan. There we go. Heads in the clouds. We'll go with that one. Um, that's going to be the title. Heads in the ass and it'll be crossed <laughs> off and it'll say clouds. Um, no, she, I mean, optimism is good. You want that in a young teacher because I feel like that might fade sometimes. But you got to be realistic, right? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, all of us were looking at her like, you are out of your mind. Mm-hmm. I think part of that, too, is she was an undergrad, whereas all of us, we had had some experience. Like, I was working during my undergrad. You had started a career at one point, and then uh, who else was... Pretty much everyone had had some experience, and they took some time, and then they went to grad school, and then they were like, all right, time for the license, even though we were all, like, really young still to be doing that. But we had, like, that more realistic approach. Well, you were, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) We all were. We all were. (laughs) Especially when you grow up in an affluent neighborhood. Not to say that all people in affluent neighborhoods uh, have that idealistic approach, but she wasn't the first that we had seen with that. No, not at all. We had seen a lot of interesting characters. There was another student, and she was always had her hand in the air, and she had been like some kind of executive for Walgreens or something. I don't know. And she had worked. We took urban education with her. She, I never cared for her at all, <laughs> and um, she always seemed to have all the answers, despite the fact that she never taught. I'm trying to think if I can picture. Well, anyways, keep going. Anyway, we'll talk about her later. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, she got a good job. I hope she's doing well. But I think a major problem with education today is that it's run by people who hopelessly do not know what they're doing Mm -hmm. or have any idea the different struggles that we deal with every day. And that is something that I feel is a problem with parents in particular, is that they don't understand how much work and effort we put into trying to reach their precious darling children, at least in my case, because my parents are paying for their education for their kids. And so some of them are involved, some of them are not, but still I've had some run-ins with them because they didn't like the way I handled something or something that I said or how I approached something. And it's difficult because as a teacher, you constantly have to think to yourself, how will this be interpreted? How will mm-hmm. each word be accepted? Is somebody going to spin this? Oh, emails. When you really want to write, motherfucker, you're an asshole and your kid's the spawn <laughs> of Satan and you can't. Meme. That's a meme when it's like when I get a rude parent email and then it shows like Jesus on a computer. Like that's what you kind of have to act like. You also see like, wow, the apple didn't fall far from the tree right there. Sometimes that's oh, a good yeah. thing. Sometimes, Sometimes it's not the greatest, not the greatest thing in the world. Uh, do you guys have like a report card pickup where parents hopefully will come, but you really only get like ten percent of parents that come? I don't have report card pickup, but we do have parent teacher conferences, okay. like yeah, everybody else. But I do have one of these students who just is spoiled rotten mm. by his parents and he just refuses to do work unless I threaten to take away recess from him or I threaten to take away gym from him. That's the only way I can get this kid to work. And before I started doing this, like his mom would complain that I was keeping him after school to do work and I was doing this and doing that against her precious little darling. He was going home and telling her that I was terrorizing him when I was just like, I need him to do his work. Yeah. It's really a simple formula that our kids don't seem to understand. Like, no matter how much you use positive reinforcement and Mm -hmm. you try to avoid the negative reinforcement as much as you can, because sometimes that just gives them the attention, they still just don't understand. It's a very simple formula. Because like in my class, I don't care if you chat with your neighbor, as long as you're both working. That's that's really it. Uh, But they don't seem to make that connection no matter how many times you say it. I still have kids that will try to talk over me when I'm giving instructions. and I have. Oh, I I hate that shit. I just wait. Be like, all right, you guys are wasting your time. And I look at my fake watch that it's just an empty <laughs> wrist, but they kind of know. They almost have like the script. Like there's probably a meme of me just standing there and it probably says, I'll wait because that's what I say like 99% of the time. They understand it. Yeah. 
how is your classroom management style? Because I have one, like mine is pretty good. Like I have this quote unquote wild class and they're not wild for me. They actually are pretty good for me. And I think it's because I set up a lot of, um, you know, routine and rules and structure at mm-hmm. the beginning of the year. And I'm just wondering, like, how did that work out for you? Or is it working for you? Or are you the cool teacher? <laughs> well, you know, my, my vice principal, he observed me like an informal observation. And he came to me the next day after I, he like wrote me like a quick email with like the notes because they're supposed to do that. And he came to me like, so what are you doing? How did you set up your room? And I, I was like, I have no clue because he was apparently impressed because he saw some students that they don't do shit for another teacher, but somehow they were engaged the entire time in my class. And in my mind, I was like, that must have been a really good day. But <laughs> it's it somehow just, it might be because I have this like mellow personality, but also like a no bullshit type of a thing. I know everyone probably says that. Part of it is honestly, it's easier for me as a man, unfortunately, it in is. an urban school to assert myself so that basically on... By day two, they're like, all right, don't mess with him. And then I got to go from there. I haven't really seen other teachers in the building to compare myself to them, but I'm confident in it. I'm, I usually go through my day pretty content where like, if someone were to come in and pop in on observation, I'd be like, all right, my class would represent me well. I'm not going to look like a shitty teacher because they're all on their phones in the corner throwing shit. But if it, it, he asked me, like, what can you like put into words so I can like bottle it up for other teachers? And I was like, I don't know what to tell you to put in that bottle. Like, I really don't. Uh, but I am, I'm pretty happy with it. Well, that's good. That's the long answer, but I have no idea how I did it. I don't have any <laughs> idea how I did it either, because this other teacher, I think you just, ha- some people have a certain vibe about them, mm-hmm. and some people just don't have the right vibe, I think, for controlling crazy kids. I yeah. actually really like crazy kids, because <laughs> I think I consider myself a reformed crazy kid okay that's right you said you were so like describe you you in middle school lots and lots of black lots and lots of marijuana i spent (laughs) my junior year pretty stoned um but i had great grades were you a goth back then then it's very goth okay okay emo wasn't a thing oh they they were around and i hated them um (laughs) goths versus emos it's a real fight because they are two different camps of the same dark army but we are very very different that's gonna be a show on hbo something <laughs> goths versus emos dark hearts versus clouded souls or something like that all right so that was episode 33 with my friend diana if you want to check out more of that conversation you can hear the rest of that on episode 34 if you haven't already please make sure you rate and review in itunes the podcast app wherever you listen to classroom brew that always helps We're also trying to go a little bit more global. We have a few listeners in Australia, in New Zealand, Japan, a lot of other great places. Also Germany, I almost forgot. If you're an avid listener, thank you so much for the support. You really keep this thing going, so I really appreciate that. Make sure you check out hashtag TeacherPod as well as hashtag TwoPodsAday, where you can check out other great teacher podcasts and indie podcasts around the world. So thank you again for listening, and as always, class dismissed. (laughs) 